Well, if you could turn with me to Nehemiah uh, chapter 4 in your Bibles. Uh, We're going to be looking now at the end uh, of this uh, chapter, uh, of Nehemiah chapter 4, which we started last week. We saw uh, last week that uh, as the walls are going, the wall building is going well, uh, all hell is let loose in chapter 4. And we saw the key truth last time that whenever... Uh, God moves through his people to do his work in his way, it will always be opposed. Whenever God moves through his people to do his work in his way, it will always be opposed. And we saw uh, three attacks last week. Uh, The attack of ridicule, the attack of guerrilla war, and the attack of discouragement. Uh, And this uh, week, as we get to verse 16... Uh, we see the attitude of total commitment. So we've seen uh, the three attacks, and here we see the attitude that is needed in God's people if they are to stand firm. And that attitude we'll see is total commitment. So let me read uh, from verse 16 uh, down to verse 23. Hopefully you've turned uh, there uh, in your Bibles. From that day on, Half of my men did the work, while the other half were equipped with spears, shields, bows, and armor. The officers posted themselves behind all the people of Judah who were rebuilding the wall. Those who carried materials did their work with one hand and held their weapon in the other, and each of the builders wore his sword at his side as he worked. But the man who sounded the trumpet stayed with me. Then I said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, the work is extensive and spread out, and we are widely separated from each other along the wall. Wherever you hear the sound of the trumpet, join us there. Our God will fight for us. So we continued the work with half the men holding spears from the first light of dawn till the stars came out. At that time, I also said to the people, let every man and his helper stay inside Jerusalem at night so that they can serve us as guards by night and as workers by day. Neither I nor my brothers nor my men nor the guards with me took off our clothes Each had his weapon, even when he went for water. This is God's word. Uh, Some of you may be uh, familiar with uh, the phrase uh, total war. If I I say that phrase, uh, some of you may know what that means. Uh, But for those of you that don't understand what total war is, it's a, a war where there are no limits. So there's no battleground as such where the war takes place, but any territory can come under attack. It doesn't matter whether you are a soldier or you are a civilian, you are vulnerable to attack from the enemy. In a total war, it is not just the soldiers in an army or the sailors or the airmen that are at war, but the whole population of a country is mobilized. And so the people are mobilized, the food is mobilized, the industry is mobilized. Every person in the population has to play their part. 
Uh, An example of total war is the Second World War, where in our country, it wasn't just the soldiers that had to go out and fight and the sailors and the airmen, but the whole population were under rationing. They had to build shelters. They were under attack from uh, uh, bombings and all sorts. Uh, It was total mobilization of all of the people and the industry and so on in the country. Everybody was involved. Nobody had a choice. Nobody could say, I don't really want to be part of this. It was total war. And this is the kind of war that we are engaged in with the enemy of our souls. There is no opt-out. There is no part of our lives that is out of bounds. It is total war. And total war calls for total commitment from the people. And the kind of commitment we are called to is seen in Nehemiah chapter 4 in verses 16 to 23 that we've just read. And we're going to see tonight three areas of total commitment of the people that we also need to imitate. And the first area of commitment we see is total commitment to the sword and the trowel. Uh, That phrase may be familiar to some of you because it's the title of a magazine that uh, the famous 1800s Baptist preacher Charles Spurgeon uh, created. And he he made this magazine, uh, The Sword and the Trowel, which I think is still being published today, with the idea that God's people in his congregation and further afield could be equipped to both know the Bible, which is the sword, and continue working for the Lord with Bible in hand. The sword, the Bible, and the trowel, the work of God going on. And in this chapter, we see a total commitment to both of those things, the sword and the trowel. And this total commitment is from the top to the bottom of society. Notice in verse 16, he begins with his men. So uh, he talks of my men. Half of them uh, did the work, whilst the other half were equipped with spears, shields, bows, and armor. So you've got the the trowel doing the the, the work, and the sword, those with the weapons. And this breaks down with the the officers are posted behind uh, the people of Judah who were building the wall. So the leaders in the community were engaged. It it, It seems as if... They were kind of guarding the people with their swords as their people were doing the work. Uh, It could be uh, translated figuratively, though, at the end of verse 16, that the officers stood behind them, as in they, they supported the people as they did the work. But notice here in verse 16 that the total commitment of the leaders to the work and to defend their people. Uh, Nehemiah, Nehemiah's men, and the officers of the people were totally committed with their people to the work of God. They didn't stand aloof. They didn't stand to the sidelines barking orders at the people to get on with the work. They got down and got dirty and stood ready with weapons to fight for the people that they were over. And in the New Testament, we read about this kind of leadership in the church Uh, in 1 Peter chapter 5. Listen to what he says to the shepherds of God's people. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, 
Not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be. Not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. Not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And that's what was going on here in the leaders in Nehemiah's day. They were examples to their flock of how to work and war to the glory of God as they rebuilt the wall. Now in First Peter here, it's talking to the elders of the church, but all of us are in leadership in some way, whether that be in our homes, whether that be in a, a specific sphere of ministry within the church. All of us should be this kind of leader, not someone standing to the side shouting at people to get on with stuff but people who lead by example and are prepared to fight for those whom God has entrusted to us. Well, uh, in verse 17 and 18, we see the workers themselves. Notice their commitment to the sword and the trowel. It says uh, about the people of Judah who were rebuilding the wall, those who carried materials did their work with one hand and held a weapon in the other. And each of the builders wore his sword at his side as he worked. So there was two kinds of workers here. Uh, one was uh, the people that carried materials. Now if you think about how a wall was rebuilt, this wall had been destroyed, and so the rubble was everywhere. And some of this rubble would have been outside of where the walls were being rebuilt. And they would have been especially vulnerable to the attack of the enemy because they were going outside of Jerusalem to pick up the rubble to bring it back in order to build the wall. And so they would have had to carry their sword with them to protect them as they picked up the materials. And so they were in one sense handicapped from carrying the materials because they had the sword in their other hand. They could, if you like, carry one brick at a time rather than two. But the builders, those that were rather inside, they had both hands free, but even they, if you noticed, had a sword strapped to their side. So they were ready to fight as they worked. And this is the posture of a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. In the New Testament, the word of God is often described like a sword. So a couple of examples. In Ephesians chapter 6, we are told to take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. In Hebrews chapter 4, we read, For the Word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. So the word of God should, like swords in Nehemiah's day, always be by our side so that we can wield it and use it when we come under attack. Now this doesn't necessarily mean that we're, we always have to have a Bible with us, although that's not necessarily a, a bad idea. Uh, and in fact, you uh, can have Bible apps um, if you've got a, a smartphone, there's lots of Bible apps, and uh, if you've got a smartphone, normally that is always by your side. Uh, so you can have that as, a, as an application. But more than that, it means that our lives and our, and our minds must be saturated 
with the word of God so that we know what it says about how we are to live our lives and about the schemes of the devil. Uh, in one, uh, one application of this would be to memorize scripture. I think there might be uh, a bit of a lost art today in that because the Bible is always available to us, uh, but to memorize portions of scripture is a really helpful way of always having the word of God by our, uh, by our side. So we, we wield the sword of the word when we know what is right and wrong and submit to it. We wield the sword of God's word when we remember the promises of God and trust in them. We wield the sword of God's word when we sit under preaching of God's word and grow in our understanding. We wield the sword with one another when we discuss God's word and, and try and understand it together, sharpening each other in our understanding. In doing these things, we are placing the sword at our side, ready for the attacks that come our way. But notice how there was a total commitment, not just to the sword, but to the trowel, to the, to the work. They continued working for the Lord, even when they were vulnerable to attack. Sometimes we can have a tendency to say, I can't work for the Lord because I have to fight for the Lord. And we can almost treat it as if we can only do one or the other. Whereas really we must always be doing both. Serving while fighting. We fight against sin. Uh, we fight to be faithful as we suffer. We fight against unbiblical thinking, against anxiety and worry. But while we do those things, we don't withdraw from church and say, well, I, I, I can't be part of church. I can't serve because I've got to deal with all these things. But rather, we keep serving, we keep working while we are warring, the sword and the trowel. Now, of course, there are things that happen in our lives that do uh, stop us in our tracks. Of course, uh, those times come. But those times are not normal times. We're always fighting. The devil doesn't take a day off, but we work while we war, the sword and the trowel. And notice how in those verses, these people had to bring both every single day to what they were doing. Now, some of us may uh, be more inclined to leave the sword at home. We really want to work, but we kind of do so in our own strength, and then we fail. Because we're not entrusting ourselves to God's word. We're not trusting God to do the work. We leave the sword at home and we just bring our trowel. Whereas others, they, well, they, they leave the trowel at home and they always have the sword. They know God's word. Our head is full of the knowledge of the Bible. But we don't want to put that to work. And so the, 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 the sword, or the, the trowel rather, is left at home. But here we see a commitment to both. The sword and the trowel. How about you? Are you committed to understanding the word of God and working in the life of the church? Or has your sword and trowel been left at home to gather dust? Here we see a total commitment to both. Secondly, we see a total commitment to the sound of the trumpet. At the end of verse 18, notice uh, 
Lots of people were put to their, uh, to, to their work rebuilding, but Nehemiah kept a special person with him. It says, the man who sounded the trumpet stayed with me. Now, this wasn't because Nehemiah had a particular partiality to the trumpet music. Uh, he didn't play his favorite tunes uh, while, he was, uh, the, while he was walking around the wall. Rather, the wall uh, was spread over a large area. This wasn't like a, it wasn't building a wall in your garden where you might call a couple of mates over to give you a hand. This was building the wall around this, the whole city of Jerusalem over a wide area. And if the enemy was going to attack, the most effective way in this kind of guerrilla warfare would be to find areas of vulnerability and attack and break it down little by little by little. So they would find where there was a gap or a vulnerability and they would go for it there. And so to address the problem, Nehemiah has this trumpet man with him. So that where an area was exposed, at that place, the trumpet would be blown. And in the scriptures through the Old Testament, we often read of how the trumpet sound was a call to arms. And so when the trumpet was called, the people would rally to where the, the place of vulnerability was and they could defend uh, their, their colleagues from the attack of the enemy. If there was a need, the community would rally together and fight for one another when the attack came. And again, this is a, a wonderful picture that is picked up again in, in other ways in the New Testament. Uh, we read about this in uh, 1 Corinthians 12 a couple of weeks ago. It says, uh, Paul writes, but God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. And so when we read there about suffering and honoring, there are examples of the trumpet being blown. When a, a member is suffering, the trumpet's blown, we suffer together. When there's a rejoicing, the trumpet goes, we rejoice and honor together. It's the same kind of picture that Paul draws out here. So when we see a brother or sister in trouble, we rally round and we help one another. We weep with those who are suffering and pray with them and, and offer practical support. Uh, we give words of advice to those who are not sure what to do. We give words of rebuke to remind and encourage each other sometimes to, to fight on. In our church, we have membership commitments, which are, a, again, a call to commit to one another. Uh, we should reread them. Uh, we, we do read them together whenever we have a new member come in, but remind yourselves of those membership commitments. They are a, a rallying call to, to commit to one another. Now, if you've forgotten what they are or you've waylaid them, don't be embarrassed to come and ask us for them. Uh, no judgment here. We'll just hand them over and expect you to read them. But if you're not a member of a local church, let me ask you, why not? Is it a, a fear to total commitment, that the kind of commitment to each other that is called for here? But more than just practical help, a, a trumpet call also can be a call to prayer, can't it? We don't have to, uh, to have uh, a literal uh, trumpet call as such, uh, but the prayer updates are a trumpet call. In fact, you could, if you even wish, on your phone, 
uh, when you get a message from uh, the church with the update, have a trumpet sound uh, as your, uh, the sound it makes on your phone when the prayer update comes in, uh, if you want to apply it in that way. But we should listen out, shouldn't we, for the trumpet calls, uh, both in prayer updates, but also as we're talking to each other and we hear alerts, things that should ring, uh, alarm bells, to pray, to encourage each other. The prayer meeting is an example of a, of a meeting of the church where, effectively, we call the trumpet, don't we? We say we need to pray about these different situations. We stand in the gap and fight for each other, and we fight as we pray. And in fact, prayer is, the, is really the main way that we do fight for each other. And why do we pray? Well, look at the end of verse 20. We pray because, as Nehemiah says here, our God will fight for us. That phrase is, is wonderful, isn't it? Our God will fight for us. It's not all down to us. If it was, we wouldn't bother praying. But we pray because we know that God is the one who moves. And he moves through the prayers of his people and he fights for his people. And this, this, this phrase, our God will fight for us, shows both confidence in God and dependence on God. And so when we hear the trumpet call come out, where we hear that there is a need in the church or there's something going on, like we, we, we had the trumpet call to pray uh, about the assisted dying bill, for example. We pray with dependence on God and we act with confidence in God that he will work through our prayers and through the help we give to others. We need reminding, don't we? Our God will fight for us, and he does. Have you got this kind of commitment to the sound of the trumpet? Or do you kind of try and turn the sound off so that you don't hear it? Have you responded to the call to prayer or will you think, well, someone else will do it. I don't need to bother. We don't see that here, do we? When the trumpet sounds, people run to rally together to help. So we've got the commitment to the sword and the trowel, the sound of the trumpet, and finally, the commitment to staying alert. Notice the dedication of the people here in these, these last few verses. Uh, in verse 21, they worked from morning till night. They didn't clock off early. They worked until the stars came out. Now that phrase is important because in those days there, were no, there was no electric light. So it means they worked as, as, as far as they could, as long as they could, until they couldn't work anymore, until it was dark effectively. And in verse 22, the people couldn't leave Jerusalem. They, they stayed within the walls of the city. So obviously people had come and, and joined in the work and they had to stay there, stay in Jerusalem night and day. Uh, so they would work in a, in a shift pattern, though some worked in the day while others guarded at night. There was a 24-hour work going on within the city uh, as this was, was going on. And in verse 23, they go to even further extremes. It says, Neither I, nor my brothers, nor my men, nor the guards with me took off our clothes. Each had his weapon, even when he went for water. Now that sounds pretty gross, doesn't it? 
They were so committed to this work, so, so committed to staying alert and it not all going wrong, that they didn't even get changed. They wore the same clothes every single day. Now, that might sound pretty gross, but it gets worse because when it says there, when he went for water, the likely meaning of that is they, they, even when they went for a bath. So they, they kept their clothes on even when they went for a wash and had the sword at their side at all times. What we see here is not just an example of how gross people were in the olden days, but rather we see here the biblical principle of watchfulness. And again, we see this in 1 Peter chapter 5 that was, we read earlier. Peter writes, Be alert and, sober mi- and of a sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Now imagine if at the beginning of the church service, I said, I'm really glad you've come, but I've just had a message from the neighbor. Uh, they've had a pet lion. They left the gate open. He's in the car park and they forgot to feed him dinner. So when you go out, be careful when you get in the car. Well, none of you are going to go out just walking out and not thinking about it. Everybody's going to be like looking around like, I hope he's not near my car because the, the lion's hungry and, and so on. You see the point that Peter's making. The devil is like that lion. He's seeking to devour God's people. And so we've got to be alert at all times. And the word watch is, is often in uh, the New Testament. I'm sorry if these words are, are, are a bit small, uh, but hopefully you get the, the point as, it's, as, it, as it builds. But it's uh, Matthew chapter 24, watch out that no one deceives you. Uh, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently, but watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. You see, this this theme of being watchful or being alert is a common New Testament theme, and it's what we see here going on in Nehemiah. So how do we as God's people, watch? Well, the answer is not to not change your clothes. Please uh, keep doing that. But rather, it's being alert to the schemes of the enemy. And really, we watch through the spiritual disciplines of our Christian life. We watch through reading the scriptures, which focuses our minds on how we are to live. And it tells us of the schemes of the devil. We watch through prayer. Notice even in the verses uh, just on the screen there, how often watch and pray are linked together. We are to watch and pray. Uh, One thing I've personally found a helpful practice is to have at set times in the day where I do just stop and pray. Not necessarily for hours at a time, but times where I stop and I think about what's gone before, what's coming up, and just reorientate myself to the Lord and, and, and pray and say, Lord, forgive me for where I've, I've sinned here. Help me with what's coming up. Um, and, and just have that time of, of prayer, focusing on God again. That's a way of watching. 
at church, being together as God's people is a way that we watch, not just through the preaching which points out areas to us where we need to watch, but other Christians watch with us. We watch out for each other, don't we? Or we should. And we should be aware of potential traps that perhaps are specific to us. Know yourself, like we looked at last week. Uh, over the summer holidays, I read uh, a book about, uh, about the, the late preacher Billy Graham. And whenever Billy Graham, because he was such a high-profile figure that people were trying often to discredit, whenever he would go to stay in a hotel, he would send someone into the room where he was going to stay to watch that there was nobody there, no women there, that would try and entrap him. Or cameras and bugs and things like that that would try and, 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 and cause him to sin in some way. Now you may think, well that's, that's, well, that's a bit much. But he was a man who was concerned to watch. And we should also, even though we haven't got the profile of, of a Billy Graham, we should be wary where we go and who we're alone with and what we are watching and what we're doing with our finances and so on. We should be wary. We should be watching because the enemy never takes a day off. We said last week, there's no ceasefire here and neither should we take a day off. We should have a plan in place of how we are to stay alert. How's your commitment to staying alert? Have you let your guard down? Watch and pray. Well, Nehemiah was a man who led by example. In verse 23, he was involved in those who did not change their clothes. He was the one who was calling for this total commitment. But with Nehemiah, he was a man who called for total commitment from a position of being totally committed himself. And it's the same with the Lord Jesus Christ. He calls us to be totally committed to God and to the building of his church. But he calls us to do so from a position of total commitment himself. The Lord Jesus Christ left heaven to come into the mess and participate in a sinful world without sinning himself. He died in the place of his people so that they could be forgiven of their sins. He was committed to the will of his Father and the glory of his Father every single moment of every single day. And he shows his total commitment and love to each one of his people as he dies for them on the cross. He stood firm and he was victorious. And he is the Savior who calls us to total commitment to him. But not from a position of aloofness, but from a position of showing his love and his commitment to us and to the work of his Father. And so let us be those who, like these people of God in Nehemiah's day, let us be those who show a total commitment to the work of God to the sword and the trowel, to the sound of the trumpet, and to always staying alert.
Well, we're going to finish uh, with singing uh, an old uh, hymn, which fits well, I think, with this chapter of Nehemiah. Uh, We're going to sing, stand up, stand up for Jesus, you soldiers of the cross. So let's stand uh, as we sing in response to these words. his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Amen.